Have you ever had one of those experiences where you get up in the morning and everything is seemingly going well and you think you're in for a great day and then some stuff starts happening and before you know it and sometimes this only takes seconds your day has a meltdown right in front of you and you feel like you have no control over what's happened but it is tremendously frustrating uh, when that begins to take place. Uh, I had several of those days this week. Uh, We have entered into the world of usernames and passwords. And you can't get anywhere in life anymore, it seems, without your username and password. Now, that's wonderful if the electronics are working the way they're supposed to. And if you remember your username and password... And if whatever company you're working with has decided that whatever your original username and password is, that they're happy and satisfied with that, and they've decided not to change the username and password. But this was my week for usernames and passwords on just about everything I had uh, to check out on me. And it all began with my um, fingerprint ID not working on banking. And I've gotten to where I do just about all my banking off the phone. And I couldn't access anything Monday. And I was like, this is just wonderful. I can't figure out what the balance is. I can't do anything with the account. Uh, The phone wouldn't cooperate at all. And then that proceeded to another account I was working with. uh, And it didn't want to cooperate. And it just every day seemed to be another round. And then I have this bad habit that when electronics don't work the way I want them to, I begin to press buttons and hit things and just do it stratotically. Something like that's going to solve the problem. And then this red stuff flashes up on the screen that tells me that that particular app or whatever has now been disabled because of what I just did to it. And uh, I must confess that one day I lost more religion than I think I've accumulated in the last 10 years trying to hit the right buttons and all that and had to reconfigure passwords and usernames and I get to continue that tomorrow uh, on an insurance site and it's just so a blessing. It just kills your joy in a day. We're beginning a series of messages today on the life of Joseph entitled Finding Joy in the Confusing Will of God. Because sometimes the will of God can seem very confusing to us. How do you find joy in the midst of that confusion? And today what we're going to look at in the book of Genesis, chapter 37, are joy killers. Three joy killers. In the life of Joseph. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn with me there. They couldn't seem to get the usernames and passwords right in Joseph's family of origin. And it created a whole lot of difficulty, those joy killers. Genesis chapter 37. As you turn there, let me give you some background to the story we're going to look at. The story has three major characters. Jacob, who's the dead. Now, at this time in the history of Jacob's life, he had also been given by God a new name, Israel. So you'll see him referred to as both Jacob and Israel. Same person, just two different names. Uh, The brothers, and these were all of Jacob's uh, 11 brothers. And then you, of course, have got, excuse me, sons. And then, of course, you've got Joseph, who is the youngest. So the three major characters are Jacob the 11 brothers, and then Joseph, who is the youngest son. Uh, 
It is a story of how God's work begins in Joseph's life in this 37th chapter in spite of a very dysfunctional family. We're going to look quite a bit today at the dysfunction in this family. But what I want to say is that if you come from a dysfunctional family or you are in a dysfunctional family, uh, you're in good company because Joseph grew up in a very dysfunctional family and yet God took him and used him greatly. So our place where we came from does not have to determine the place where we're going. And we don't have to look and just say, man, I've got stuck in this dysfunctional family and I'll never be anything but dysfunctional myself. Joseph learned following the Lord how to break that cycle of dysfunction. And all this dysfunction killed the joy that was in that family. Genesis chapter 37, we're going to begin with verse 1. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan, which today would be the land of Israel. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pastoring the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhad and Zilphad, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel, or Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors, or a variegated robe. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him, and they could not speak peacefully to him. Did you know that was a joy to sit around those dinner tables? Now, Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us, or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. And my sermon outline is contained in your bulletin and encourage you, if you will, to follow along with me. Favoritism in a family kills joy. Favoritism in a family kills joy. And that is the first joy killer that we see here in Genesis 37. Jacob, the dad, who plays favorites with his children, had learned how to do that from his own family. His mother had chosen him to be the favorite over his brother Esau. And his dad, Isaac, had chosen his older brother Esau as his favorite. And so there was competition going on between the brothers, and there was competition going on between the parents. And because of that, Jacob grew up, excuse me, uh, you know, Jacob grew up in a dysfunctional family, and there was all kinds of bad blood for decades between him and his older brother Esau. He could have learned a lesson from that. He should have learned a lesson from that. But when we don't learn lessons, 
from family history, we are doomed to repeat the mistakes of our family. And that's exactly what he did. He took the same type of favoritism that he had grown up with and turned around and practiced it among his 12 sons, and that created all kinds of furor in that family. Now, things got worse because he had to sort of demonstrate. You know, it's bad enough when the boys started picking up on the fact that dad's got a favorite and it's little Joseph over here, but then when dad sort of accentuated it with his clothing, that made matters even worse. Now, The story has been famous for Joseph's coat of many colors. The actual Hebrew words that are used there don't necessarily indicate a coat that was filled with colors. In fact, if he made a coat that had a whole bunch of colors on it, I don't know that uh, the brothers would have gotten that upset about it because back in those days, he didn't really do much of that anyway, so they probably said, well, I'm glad Dad gave him a freaky-looking coat. He can walk around and look freaky as far as we're concerned. We could care less because that's what he would have looked like in that context. The idea of this coat in the Hebrew words that are used here is not having a whole lot of different colors. It was the idea of a robe that went to your wrist and down to your ankles. And the significance of that was this. In that day and age, if you wore a robe or a tunic that was short sleeve and stopped at your knees, it meant that you were a hard laborer. The kind of work you did was going to involve your hands and just a lot of hard work and, and hard laboring work. If you wore a robe that's used of the word that is used here, it meant it went to your wrist and to your ankles, and that indicated that you were in management. It also indicated that you were in royalty. Nowadays, for example, it would sort of be like uh, the boss who's in the office and has got the suit on compared to the guy who's out on the line and how they dress differently when they come to work. So when he shows up, when Joseph shows up in front of these brothers, they would have probably most likely have been in these short sleeve, short tunics, Because they did hard labor and Joseph shows up and he's got his long robe on and instantaneously they knew he is destined for management over us. Now how many of us would look at a younger sibling and just be thrilled to death that dad has decided that they're going to be bossing us around someday? That is exactly the idea. And how many of us would be excited to be out there in our Walmart special clothing and he and the older brother, I mean the younger brother shows up in his Saks Fifth Avenue outfit. So that was sort of what was going on. These robes were also known to indicate royalty and to have rich ornamentation on them. And so they're looking over there and they're sitting there and they're worn out tunics and they're looking at Jacob and his, uh, Joseph rather, and his nice big long robe, they know it means he's going to manage them, he's going to run the show, he's got the money going, the bling on, the whole bit, and they are just despising him because of this. Then to add insult to injury, Jacob starts having dreams. Now, they didn't want to listen to anything he had to say to begin with, let alone to listen to his dreams. Now, in that day and age, dreams were understood to be a means of divine communication. In other words, God communicated to people through dreams, and that was very acceptable. So he shows up and he relates two of his dreams, and his dreams are of the nature that it doesn't take a scientist to figure out what... They are. Basically, the day is coming when they're all going to bow down to him and they're going to serve him, etc. And so that's just rubbing a lot of salt into the wound. Joseph relates what God's doing, maybe not even realizing it. But Jacob makes the situation terrible by showing the favoritism. 
We need the daily guidance of the Lord by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to make sure that we don't make some big-time mistakes in our families. The dad, Jacob, was a good man, but he made a very repetitive, serious mistake by showing favoritism. And good people sometimes can make some bad mistakes in family if we don't follow the daily leadership of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God guiding us by the work and teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. Let me suggest to you, the book of Proverbs, read a chapter a day, 31 chapters, get you through the whole book in a month. Read it repeatedly. That will give you more wisdom and direction about how to function in your family. Now, these boys have got some major wounding in them that gets infected with hatred and bitterness because of their dad's favoritism. There are a lot of folks who arrive into adulthood with significant wounding in their life that happened in their childhood and adolescence perpetrated by parents or grandparents, etc. Because they got the feeling over and over again that they didn't measure up in the family or they were inadequate. How many brothers and sisters have looked at other brothers and sisters in the same family and have had bitterness because they got it easier than I got it. Mama loved them more than she loved me. Daddy was in their court more than he was in mine. They were more intelligent and they lived up to the expectations of a mom or a dad and I just never could seem to live up to the expectations. They got all this education, I didn't. They made all this money, I didn't. They lived in the nice, they live in the nice part of town, I don't. And it can go on and on and on. And so grow up with all this deep-seated inferiority and if we're not careful, the deep-seated inferiority can lead to bitterness and resentment inside of us because, you know, I just did not measure up. And I don't feel like it was fair, and I never had a chance. So how do you deal with that in adulthood? Well, let's, let me give you several suggestions about how to deal with that and dealing with that woundedness in adulthood as trying to overcome that stuff. Well, the first thing to do in dealing with that, and these brothers... I mean, they were really struggling with the jealousy, is to recognize, first of all, that jealousy has an appetite that is never satisfied. Jealousy has an appetite that is never satisfied. It will insist on taking out its object one way or another. They couldn't even bring themselves to speak to Joseph. The tension was getting so bad in the family. And if you and I allow ourselves to get consumed with jealousy, we're going to be at a place that it's just never satisfied. No matter how much we feed the jealousy, it is never satisfied. Recognize that God's opinion of you is more important than anybody else's opinion of you. God's opinion of you is more important than anybody else's opinion of you. 
And God's opinion of you is more important than your parents' opinion of you. You see, if you were in a situation where you felt like you never added up and you got, we're struggling with bitterness and resentment because we don't feel like we were good enough or had it, etc. And hence, we feel like we weren't loved enough because the family is the place that we look to to be valued and to be loved and to be accepted and to be at home and to have a place. If any other place on the face of the planet that's supposed to happen, it's supposed to happen in a family. And when it doesn't happen in a family, we struggle. And we struggle throughout our lives if it doesn't happen in a family. How many folks go through life straining and wishing for the acceptance and approval of a dad or a mom that they never got? God's opinion counts more. And what we have to do is learn to live out of God's opinion of us instead of our own opinion of ourselves or family members' opinions of us. You see, those brothers should have looked at their dad and said, Yeah, dad's taking a favorite here, and I'm not valued as much as Joseph is, but God loves me as much as he loves Joseph. God loves us and cares about us as much as our younger brother. I'm, we're sad that dad's chosen to do this, and he shouldn't have, but that does not change the love of God for us, and the love of God for us is greater and more important than even dad's love is. Folks, the most fundamental reality about who you are is not what your parents or other people say about you or think about you. It is that God said about you on the cross that you are worth every ounce of blood of the Son of God. You cannot ask for something to be said about you that is not more important and greater statement of value than God would say, I consider you worth every ounce of blood of my son. Jesus died equally for everybody on the cross. And so when I look in the mirror in the morning, I don't look in the mirror primarily as the son of my mom or the son of my dad or a grandson. I look into the mirror and I see that I am the son of my heavenly father. That I am first and foremost in his family. And that he has measured my worth in the life, death, and resurrection of his son. God's opinion is what matters more than anything else. Second. Don't get wrapped up in being envious of somebody else's dream. Those brothers stood there, and they looked at Joseph, and they saw and listened to his dreams, and they got all tore up about it. And they began to envy his dream, and they began to focus on his dream, and they got all mad about his dream. And in the process, they missed the dream that God had for them. What was the dream that God had for them? Well, the dream that God had for them was that through them would come the 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. God was going to birth a whole nation that would affect world history for the ages to come through these guys. But they didn't care about that. All they cared about was Joseph's dream. Judah, who in the next chapter, the brother Judah, who in the next chapter, I mean, screws it up royally, if he had been tracking with God instead of tracking with his jealousy would have found out that through his bloodline the Messiah was going to come. We sang about it just a few minutes ago. The lion of the tribe of what? Judah. But see, he was so focused on 
Joseph, in his dream, he couldn't receive God's dream for him. And folks, when I'm looking at another brother or sister in Christ or another person, and I'm all wrapped up in jealousy about their dream, I can't realize the dream God has for my life. A lot of us are missing what God's got for us because we're so busy being envious of what God's got for somebody else. When I get all wrapped up in jealousy over somebody else's blessing, I'm going to miss the blessing God's got for me. And, and we all do churches do it. I've noticed over the years, if God starts blessing church over here, first church over here, second church over here gets envious of that church. And the only reason they're getting blessed is because they're screwing up and doing this. And that's the reason they're getting the blessing over here. Instead of saying, God bless them for what's going on with them, and we're just going to find the blessings God got for us. I saw a cartoon years ago. It had this great big church in this town. And then a smaller church across the street. And the smaller across the church the street had a sign out front that said, Half the size but twice as righteous. <laughs> How many times do we get so jealous of somebody else's blessing that we miss out on the blessing God has for us? And then in... Focusing on Joseph's blessing, they were essentially trashing their own blessing. It wasn't good enough for them. And you see, if, when I get to envying somebody else's blessing, not only am I going to miss the blessing God's got for me, when God gives it to me and tries to show it to me, I'm going to trash it because it's not as important as the blessing that I'm envying. Don't worry about somebody else's blessing. Rejoice that they've got it. Discover the blessings God has got for you and move in that blessing. Don't envy someone else's dream. God's dream is for His wisdom. It's from out of His wisdom. It's out of His love. It's larger than you. And it's the best that God's got for you. You and I don't need to second guess the blessing of God. I want to say that again. God's dream for you is out of his wisdom, out of his love, is the best that he's got for you. Don't second guess the blessing that God has for you. God's got the right to use people any way he wants to, and we have to recognize his authority to do that. And then we just have to say, Lord, however you want to take me and however you want to bless me, I'm going to rejoice in that, and I'm going to praise you for that, Lord, and I want to thank you for that. But let me show you one thing that God's got in store for all of us, okay? Book of Revelation, chapter 7. Listen to this prophecy that is given about God's work when Jesus comes again. Revelation, chapter 7. And verse 9, after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one can number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Notice they are clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who stands on the throne and to the Lamb. And then over in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 14, Revelation 22, 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. 
Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Now, I don't have time to go into uh, the book of Revelation in depth this morning, but the book of Revelation is a picture of what God has done, is doing, and is going to do. And notice the picture here. All folks are clothed in the robes that he has made. They've all washed them in the blood of the Lamb and stand before him. What is he trying to teach us? He's trying to teach us, I believe in part here, that listen, when we stand before him someday, he is going to clothe us. And so we don't have to worry about how God's blessing somebody else. We're all going to be equal before the Lamb. We're all going to stand equal before Him someday. We're all going to be there in front of Him. Now notice Joseph finally in the story. Verse 2. It says that he brings back a bad report on his brothers. The word that's used there in the Hebrew means news slanted to damage somebody. In other words, it was an intentional report to make them look bad. Then daddy makes the robe for him. And he puts the robe on. Now Joseph was not dumb or naive. He knew when he put this robe on that was different from the tunics that his brothers were wearing. That he was putting on the garb of management and a royalty. And that that was going to be a physical symbol that dad was saying, you in charge. And so what does he do? He wears it around in front of his brothers. And he's bound to know that was not going over well. I mean, if you were in a family and everybody in the family is down and out, so to speak, and you got your fancy bling on and you go strutting around in front of them, you know how that's going to be received. Now, some of you know what it's like to be on the brother's side of the equation. You go to a family reunion and you get to watch somebody driving in their brand new car and rave about how great they are and the kids making, you know, doing great and the dogs making straight A's in school and on and on and on it goes and you have to just sit there and listen to it on and over and over again. I, I remember years ago when my son was uh, struggling in school, I was behind this car that said, my child is an honor roll student at such and such a school. And I wanted so bad to hit the gas (laughs) and cream that bumper sticker. (laughs) It was an ungodly thought that went through my mind, but I really wanted to, man, if I could just hit that bumper and cream that bumper sticker, because I saw the way my son was struggling in school, and he wasn't wasn't, not an honor roll student at the time, and it was just like, you know, I just want to hit that thing and and let it have it, etc. And so, you know, those things get to us. And and Joseph is going around like that. And then Joseph has his dreams. And he must have known the brothers didn't want to listen to his dreams. I mean, you know, if you're, if you know you, they won't even talk to you. And, and the tension is so thick at the dinner table, you can cut it with a knife. And then Joseph shows up with a big smile on his face and he says, I've been dreaming. And I can imagine what the thoughts that went through their mind. I don't give a flip that you've been dreaming. Oh, I've had this dream. And they probably wanted to tell him what he could do with his dream if they didn't. And then he goes into his dream. Well, it didn't take a 
a brain scientist to figure out what the dream meant. In fact, when the brothers rejected the dream, they were essentially saying we're rejecting the call of God on his life. Here's where Joseph is struggling, I believe, here. God gave Joseph tremendous gifts and abilities and a calling. And God gave him at the age of 17 an understanding of how he wanted to use him. But at that stage in his life, he had not developed the humility necessary to hold the dream as he needed to. However greatly God wants to use us, if we don't hold that equally with humility, we will end up losing the dream. How many folks have been called by God, tremendously gifted and talented by God, and have had an understanding of how God wanted to use them, but because of pride, have lost it? Folks, humility is more important than talent. Humility is more important than giftedness. Humility is more important even than the understanding of how God wants to use you. Because humility is the pathway to everything else being fleshed out in the dream coming true. And what we will see in the next few weeks in Joseph's life is that God is going to take him through some valleys to produce the humility in his life so that he can see and live out the dream. But I can't say it strong enough. The dream has to be held with humility or we'll end up losing the dream. I want you to think this morning about Jesus. Jesus had 12 disciples. They were various men. Some were highly intelligent. Others struggled in that department. Some were fishermen. One was a tax collector. But Jesus loved all 12 men equally. Even the one who would betray him and the one who would deny him. Jesus loved those 12 guys equally. When he washed their feet, he washed all the sets of feet that were in the room. If you'd have been in the room that night, he wouldn't have sat there and scrubbed down John's feet and barely touched Peter's. They all got an equal washing. Because what Jesus tried to say over and over to his disciples is, I don't care where you're from, the right side of the tracks or the wrong side of the tracks. I don't care whether you're an intellectual or you barely got out of elementary school. I love all of you equally. Jesus had no bitterness. He knew that his calling meant eventually crucifixion. Death, tremendous suffering. 
He knew that the calling that God had for some of his disciples wouldn't take them in that direction. He looked at the calling that other people around him had, people that he healed, people whose lives he changed, and they wouldn't have to go that far with their calling. But Jesus wasn't bitter about his calling. He didn't trash his calling because someone else didn't share the same calling. He accepted his calling. He accepted the dream that God had for him, even though it was a tough dream. But he didn't get resentful comparing himself to others. If he had, he would have missed his calling. In fact, the greatest struggle of his life over his calling was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And it wasn't a comparison that he struggled through. He said, Father, not my will. But yours be done. And he lived with humility. Man, there's so many examples of his humility. But I want to go back to the room that night when he washed the disciples' feet. It was the common practice in those days that the household slave washed the feet of people. And they didn't have cars back then. So when you went into a house, walked into a house, you'd been walking all over the place. Your feet stunk. They wore sandals. They, your feet were filled with dirt, um, etc. And it was, you were just a mess. Dry, cracked, you know, skin, smelly, dirt, all that. So the household slave was told, you're the lowest person in the room. So you wash the feet of the people. Well, the disciples went in that night, and none of them were going to stoop themselves to wash any feet, particularly the other guy. Because they weren't going to be a servant to the other guy. So they're all waiting on each other as to who's going to be the servant. They all get seated. Jesus doesn't lecture them. He doesn't say a word. He just gets up. Takes off his outer garment. He goes and he gets the servant's towel. He, he wraps it around him. And they all get a sense of what's about to happen. Can you imagine what was going on in their minds? He's acting like the slave. He's about to do what we wouldn't do. The Son of God is saying to us that He's not too good to wash feet. We thought we were too good to wash feet. But He's saying He's not. He gets the basin of water. And he takes your foot and he begins to wash it. Jesus looks into a foot. It's got dirt all over it. Skin's cracked. He holds that foot and the smell of the foot goes up in his nose. I don't know if there's anything quite as bad as foot odor. And that's what he's getting his nostrils filled with. Twelve of them. I was in dormitories for years. They get to smelling pretty bad after a while. Guys aren't taking care of the feet. And he's got twelve stinking feet that he has to smell. The household slaves work. And as he's washing the feet. Oh, don't miss this. This is what he was doing. This is God's dream for me. This is God's calling for me. This is God's will for me. This is the place of the joy of the Lord. 
That's why those scriptures say, consider him, analyze him, study him. I've noticed young people today, they've got a, a game on their phone. They're just wrapped up in that game. That's the idea of consider him, get wrapped up in him. I got some apps on my phone. When I hit one of those apps, man, I got it right in front of me and I'm concentrated on it. I'm amazed every week when they, they started telling me how many minutes per week I'm on my app. I wish they wouldn't tell me that. And it comes up and I'm amazed how much time I've spent on that app. But that's the idea of the word consider here. Cons- look at him. Study him. Analyze him. Can you imagine? That if we said, Jesus, if your dream for me is to be a servant, if your dream for me is to wash feet, then I'm going to do it as your servant. That is a joy maker. Let's pray. Lord, Help us to not, Lord, engage in the joy killing, but God in the joy making. And Lord, to consider Jesus, to analyze him, to study him, to model him, to imitate him. And Lord, when your call for us, which so often it will be, will be for us to wash someone else's feet. Dear God, give us the strength and the call from you and the power of the Holy Spirit to do just that. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you need to give your life to Jesus and follow Him and serve Him, as we sing in just a moment, I invite you to come forward And this day to give your life to the Lord. If you sense that God wants you to be part of our church family, we invite you to come. Join here with us. If God has been working and dealing with you about a potential maybe call to ministry, and you want us to pray with you about that, we'd love to do that. Please come. As always, the altar is open if you just want to come and kneel and pray. Father, have your way with us, your servants. In Jesus' name we pray.